Get ready for the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin. Each week featuring a candid and raucous conversation with some of the most innovative, outspoken, and entrepreneurial business minds in the world today. This is the Very Visible Business Podcast, and here's David Averin. Welcome to the Very Visible Business Podcast. I'm David Averin, and uh, as always, I have the great privilege and pleasure of being able to interview whoever the hell I want to. And so <laughs> that's one of the nice things when, you know, in the early days of, of, of marketing and, and public relations and everything else, um, you know, our, our challenge is to get our clients on the channels, right? We're, we had what, three, three TV channels, maybe a fourth uh, independent and a couple of newspapers. Now, of course, we create our own channels and we do it the way we want. And so the people who know me and like me and follow me, uh, I think recognize that, that I find people that have that, that are interesting. And this is one of the people I find one of the most interesting. Jay Bear and I have sort of been in each other's orbit for probably a decade or more uh, around the speaking and consulting world, National Speakers Association. I had the great privilege of sitting in the aud audience a year ago as, uh, as Jay was inducted into the National Speakers Association Hall of Fame, was there cheering loudly from the sidelines. And uh, that's not he is. It's just a reflection of part of what he has accomplished. So I'm going to give you a quick formal introduction. And one of the things I like about Jay, it's kind of funny, is those who've had the greatest measure of success have the shortest bio. It's sort of <laughs> like when you're starting in business, you know, the young people, my, my teens and early 20s, they have four-page resumes. I'm like, what the hell have you done to have a four-page resume? And then, of course, you get older and that, that, that stint at the gap and Chick-fil-A sort of <laughs> falls, off falls off the LinkedIn, yeah. <laughs> falls, off, falls off the last one here. So here's the formal introduction. Um, for those of you who are, who are listening in on Spotify and Megaphone and Stitcher and iTunes and C-Suite Radio um, can hear this. And of course, if you want to see the, uh, the visual, the video version of this and see what Jay looks like on my website at davidavern.com, click on the podcast link and you can see the video version of this as well. But I'll read the quick introduction, putting on my smart glasses, Jay Bear helps businesses clone their customers. He is a seventh generation entrepreneur. He's written six best-selling books, including, oh, I'm gonna try and get them all right here. Um, Utility, Hug Your Haters, which was a mega hit as well. And his newest book is Talk Triggers. And I freaking loved this book, Thank Talk you. Triggers. We'll talk more about that as well. Um, he has founded five multi-million dollar companies. He's the president of Convince and Convert, a consulting firm that works with the world's most iconic brands like the United Nations, 3M, Hilton, heard of them, heard of them. He helps them gain and keep more customers. A recent inductee into the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame. He's also an avid collector of tequila. I would assume that is tequila within bottles and decanters, correct? Indeed. In fact, I'm going to actual tequila tomorrow uh, for a uh, distillery tour. I'm very excited. Outstanding. So when you collect it, not just the liquid portion, right? Like actually in the containers, that yes, helps tremendously. Right. And a certified barbecue judge. See, that's fascinating as well. I am a, a non-certified barbecue lover. So, Perfect. We can, we can um, work on that. So hang on your seats. We're talking to Jay Bear. Jay, thanks for, uh, for taking the time and being with us here today. David, fantastic to be here. Thank you for taking the time. It is absolutely my privilege. Congratulations on your new book. It is spectacular. I've already been telling people about it, telling more people about it. It's really, really well done. Thank you very much. Do you mean, do you mean this book? I do. Why customers leave and how to win them back. You know what? 
for those of us sort of in this world, the, um, the, the, the importance and the striving to stay relevance, uh, to stay relevant um, keeps us learning and, and asking and sharing that wisdom. And it is, uh, some people love the process. Uh, there's a famous author, I love, she had a great line that when, when asked if she enjoyed writing, her answer was, I love to have written. And I'm like, <laughs> well I so get that. I so get that. It's like when the, when the yeah. wedding is over and the episiotomy scar here is still healing for, for me with the new book. Um, talk to us about, um, you know, I, I mean, we can do this in whatever order you want, but I mean, for those who are not familiar, Jay is one of the most brilliant, um, flamboyant, um, and I say that in a way just in terms of wardrobe, you're just identifiable. And, I, and, and as, as a branding person, uh, I have such respect there's not a person who has who has ever seen Jay Bear present or work with him who doesn't recognize him on site, um, and not because oh man you look like no you don't look like anybody you look like uh, uh, sometimes I get Tom Arnold for those of you watching the show yeah maybe something like, like Drew Carey and and, but, and Drew Carey's good because my my actual the job I want David this is a hundred percent true the job I want is not this job. The job I want is Price is Right host because I was named most likely to be a game show host in high school. And, and if anything ever happens to Drew Carey or if he is slowly poisoned, God bless him, uh, I am throwing my hat in the ring because that's the job I actually want. You know, the, the God bless him after yes. uh, if he's slowly poisoned. And unfortunately, when you say things and they're actually recorded, it, uh, it, it draws, draws <laughs> it's a knock on my door well, and it's the FBI. I, I got that. You know, for, it's, it's kind of funny. There, there's people who have sort of gotten into this profession. Of course, the profession of speaking is just the mechanical delivery of what it is that we do. Yeah. So I always sometimes I say that we're, we're the most diverse, diverse organization as the National Speaker Association uh, in the country, because the only thing we have in common is that we deliver our content from a stage yeah. from, of, of some sort. But of course, the content is, is all over the map. So talk to us a little about what do you, what do you espouse? What is your, what is your what have you built your career um, that, that what are you shouting from the mountaintops? I mean, I think, I think if you look at across all my books and the consulting work that we do uh, in my firm and, and speeches that I give, I think that what ties all those things together is, is almost a money ball philosophy to customer acquisition and customer retention, right? Everybody's telling you to do this and, tell, and do this and, and sort of each new thing I come out with, it's like, well, yeah, you could do those things or here's something you could do instead that will actually allow you to gain or keep customers more cost-effectively uh, and, and quicker, right? So utility is about being uh, disproportionately helpful while helping is better than selling and, and to use very helpful information. It's really a content marketing book in, in, for all intents and purposes. Sure. And using that to sort of outflank your competition. Hug your haters is about the fact that, that, that customer retention is far more important than we give it credit for. And now that customer service is primarily, uh, in many cases, online, it's a spectator sport. So therefore, retention is, should have more resources and all those kind of things. Talk triggers is, is about the long, vastly, ridiculously overlooked art of word of mouth and why the fact that the best way to grow any business is for your customers to grow it for you uh, and how to do that on purpose in an era where every business by, you know, primarily does word of mouth on accident, if at all. Uh, and so each of those things are sort of like, and then the way I write books is a little different, David, you might, you might not know this. So most people write book and then write speech. I write speech, take speech on road, do speech 50 times, get speech right. and then write book. Uh, and, and, and I start writing the speech uh, because in our consulting practice, and again, as you mentioned in the introduction, is very kind of you, we're, you know, we're doing a lot of work with a lot of interesting brands. 
And when I see a pattern emerge and sort of a pattern of questions from our clients, I think, huh, if these companies who are some of the biggest companies out there don't know the answer to this, a whole bunch of people don't know the answer to this, I should see if that's a speech, right? The speech taken on the road, speech goes well, turn it into a book. That's kind of how the process works. Right. So we talk about, let, let's talk about talk triggers. And, and I kind of want to gravitate there just because it's the most recent book that, sure. that I have read. And um, what I like about it, and, and I'm one of these, I'm a story kind of a person as well. And, and I'm sort of a, um, a case study kind of person. When I was writing my book, um, Why Customers Leave, and I had talked to a variety, I'd worked with, with major publishers before for past books and others and there was a and I created the proposal for this and it was sort of on the same lines it, what had driven this was just some frustration with with clients I'd gotten them a tremendous amount of, of publicity driven tremendous amount of customers and they were killing themselves by by pissing off their customers and so I was like how do we correct all this <clears throat> but when I wrote the proposal originally there was a a, uh, a literary agent who came back and she says where's your data to support this <laughs> And my response to her was, not only do I not want to write that book, I don't want to read that book. Yeah. So what I really liked about talk triggers, and this isn't about just pushing the book, but I want to talk about the content and thought behind it, is that you have, you've created structure to help us understand, I think, what we're already noticing in terms of, of what it takes to make something. Um, I, I think the, um, the, the, the duct tape guys, um, who are, the, um, who are the, the Stanford guys? Oh, made to stick. Made to stick sure. it. Right, it was the same kind of a thing. It was sort of like, let's analyze what makes something sticky. And so you've done the same thing, but you use very relevant examples in talking about um, Double Tree Hotel with the cookies. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and I love talking about, um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm running, I'm um, Cheesecake Factory and sure. other things as well. Sure. So that not only do you talk about, here's sort of a structure to think about. It's not, it's not academic, it's very behavioral. But I like what you did was saying, okay, so like, here's an example of this kind of a customer. And then it made sense. Talk about sort of the process and what you learned in yeah. writing. We, you know, Daniel Lemon, my co-author uh, on this project and I really did actually put a lot of data into it. I understand um, your, your allergy to, to that kind of book, but we sort of felt like if you say to people, word of mouth is more important than you think, and you should get some, they're going to be yep, like- Right. Yeah. They're like, okay, um, great. Why do I need this book? Um, and so we actually have a tremendous amount of, of, of data and support in the book. We, we um, commissioned uh, several, one, two, three, four separate research projects that we actually paid for, uh, for national studies in the book. Uh, so there's a lot of, not math in the way that, you know, it's drudgery, but there's a lot of right. data in the book and then, and then a ton of case studies. And we sort of felt like, if we're going to tell people that you have been massively overlooking the power of word of mouth for 50 years, we better have evidence because otherwise people are going to throw this book in the trash. Because what we're really saying is all the money that you spend on marketing and advertising is money that maybe you shouldn't spend. Maybe you don't have to spend it if you actually turn your customers into volunteer marketers. Robert Stevens, who's the the founder of Geek Squad, uh, has a saying that that I love and I quote all the time. I don't think it's in the book, but I I say it on stage a lot, which is advertising is a tax paid by the unremarkable. And right. it's, it's not 100% true, but it's pretty true, right? Like, yeah. like you know, you think, about a you think about a company like Doubletree that we chronicle in the book. You know, Doubletree Hotels has been giving out a warm chocolate chip cookie to every guest on check-in every day for 30 years, 30 years, every day. 
Now, today and tomorrow and yesterday, they will distribute 75,000 chocolate chip cookies a day, right? Which yep. is a hell of a lot of a chocolate chip cookies. Yes. We did a national study of Doubletree guests. And David, we found that 34% of them have told a story to somebody else about that cookie. So if you do the back of the napkin math on that, what that means is that today and tomorrow and the day after 22,500 stories will be told about a chocolate chip cookie. Companion question, when's the last time you saw a Doubletree ad? Kind besides of the, like, kind of like never. Side, yeah, besides the side of the van. Right, and the side of the van is what? It's a picture it's of the cookie. cookie. It's, it's the a cookie. picture of the cookie, right. absolutely. So the cookie is the ad, and the guests are the sales and marketing department. Now, that's not 100%. Of course, they have a sales and marketing department, but you know what I mean. At, right. at, at scale, they don't spend money on advertising because they don't have to. Why? Because they have a talk trigger. And a right. talk trigger is just a choice. It's an operational choice to do something in your customer experience that compels conversation. The problem that most businesses have, categorically so, is they want to play follow the leader. They wanna say, well, who's doing things well in our category? Let's mimic that. Same as lame. And I don't know everything, but I've been doing this a long time. I know this to be true for a fact. The more you try to fit in, the more your customers tune out. So what Talk Trigger really is, is a recipe, a structure, a system for having the guts and the courage to do just one thing different and doing it different so that customers notice and talk about it. That's it. Right. Well, and what I, here's what I love about it. And, and to be clear, and for those listening, I wasn't dogging the research aspect, but what I like it is you use the research to, to back up everything that you assert. Yeah. And, but the assertion is so readable in this. Um, I'm one of those people, I certainly talk, I'm a Hilton guy. I'm, I'm diamond with Hilton because I travel as well. Um, I've talked about a double tree on stage, but what's interesting about the talk triggers and, and, it's, and it is beyond the unique selling proposition. It's, mm -hmm. it's something different because a lot of people will sort of look at this and think, okay, how do I make something that, that that's a real differentiator um, that, that makes you more preferable? But it's not, it's, it's, it can be. Yep. But it's really about something that makes you want to talk about. I've talked about Doubletree, but, but in, the, in the case of saying, listen, we don't, I don't go to Doubletree because of the cookie. But if I'm going Doubletree, I'm getting the cookie, yeah. right? You know, I stand at the counter and, and somebody, they offer the guy next to me, and do you want a cookie? And he's like, uh, no, thank you. And I look over and I'm like, really? Go back to Russia, you commie bastard. I'll have I, his cookie. <laughs> this is America. I will take his cookie. Thank you very much. But it is something that makes something that, that you remember about it at, at uh or I'm trying to think again, Cheesecake Factory, it's the yeah. absurd menu, Huge. right? Like if you it's, just go to Twitter right now, it's crazy. I do this about every three weeks just out of personal entertainment. Right. I go to Twitter and I search Cheesecake Factory plus menu. And then I just see all the hilarious tweets and memes and right. gifs about the menu, right? And, and we did the same kind of research on that and found that 38% of Cheesecake Factory customers have talked about the giant menu to somebody else, right? Same question. Right. When's the last time you saw a Cheesecake Factory ad? Never, almost right. never, uh, because the guests are the, the marketing department, right? And, and this is not uh, just something that's possible for B2C companies either. I think some of the best examples in the book and some of the best examples uh, that I come across are business to business organizations that understand the power of word of mouth. And it, and it really works in B2B because as a general rule, B2B companies uh, are, have signed a constitutional pledge to be as boring as possible. So if right. you just do one thing that's a little different, people are like, oh my God, this is the Doesn't crazy. take a whole lot, does it? 
insane, right? They're shouting it from the rooftops, right? So, so people have come up to me and said, oh, well, we're in a, you know, we're B2B. I'm like, great. And fun fact, word of mouth influences 50% of all purchases, okay? Half of all purchases, which is higher than any other thing. Right. Advertising, word of mouth is... Um, uh, depending on how you look at it in the product, either the, the first or second most important way that people decide what to buy, right? Advertising is eighth. Eighth. Oh, yeah. The eighth most important way. Now, think about how we spend our time and our budget. Uh, it's, it's completely, completely messed up. So word of mouth influences 50% of purchases. But in B2B, check this out, David, 91% of purchases are influenced by word of mouth. Nobody buys nothing from another business unless you check with a previous customer first, you read the reviews, you look it up. No, you're not going to buy a printer, a stapler, an insurance company. You know, you're not going to buy anything uh, for your business unless you check it out first because the stakes are higher and the mistakes are magnified. But, and, but, and I think that that's the key to it. I, I think that there is more at stake. Um, the ramifications of underperformance in a B2B purchasing yeah. scenario can yeah. be profound. There's a school of thought that, that, um, that suggests, actually asserts, that um, there's a mistaken belief that we're all looking to make the best decision possible, right? In purchasing or hiring or contracting. And the reality is we're looking to avoid making a bad decision. And, and I'll a challenge on this. Some people say, so we don't want to make it? I say, of course we want to make the best. We just don't know what it is because everybody tells us that they're great. So when you look at word, word of mouth. The downside is sometimes more important than the grasping of upside. A hundred percent, because once again, the ramifications of underperformance, if you're looking at, at, at a purchase, maybe it's a, a $2 million worth of mattresses for, for four new hotel properties, you cannot screw this up because this isn't just about a bad choice for dinner, somebody's job's on the line. And so they will opt for good over the promise of great if that promise carries risk. And as yeah. you said, well it's that word of mouth. So talk about word of mouth as it looks how does it present itself in, in 2019, 2020? Because word of mouth is, for those of us who are old, um, you know, we, we look at that as, as a very physical transition, uh, transmission of, of, of connection face-to-face. -to -face. Today, when we look at, at, as it pertains to social proof and manifest itself that way, what are some of the vehicles and the venues and how do you help people influence those, um, those advocates? It, and it still is uh, driven a lot by what we would consider to be uh, old school word of mouth, which of course is the original marketing. Like, sure, there was a caveman that told another caveman that this guy, you know, has the best spear points. And he's like, oh, that's great. Good tip. Thanks. That's like the first word of mouth, right? That was the only marketing. And at some point, somebody drew like a cave painting. He's like, oh, outdoor advertising, right? So this goes right. back. This goes back a long way. <laughs> Uh, but the, the, the most recent data uh, was from late 2017 from Engagement Labs, which saw that 52% of, of conversations about goods and services companies is still offline, 48% online. So this idea that one of the things that we talk about in the book that's very irksome uh, to me and others in the in kind of the word of mouth CX world is that this idea that, well, we don't need a word of mouth strategy because we have social media. It's so, like, well, no, word of mouth and social media are not the same thing. No, they aren't. In, in the same way that you can't. Yeah, one, one's can't, an action and one's a venue. Yeah, I can't say to you that, I can't say to you that, a, a, that toothpaste is the same as a tube that holds toothpaste. Right. Those are not the same things. They are right. related, certainly, but they're not the same thing, right? So word of mouth is a story told from a customer to somebody else. Social media is a place that that story could 
unfurl, right? And, right. and so it's not, the problem is that nobody has an actual story for customers to tell. The, the, the huge problem, and really why we wrote this book, is that everybody believes that competency creates conversation. We've spent so much time in business You're over the last- still on the same page, yeah. Yeah, 15, 20 years, you know, longer, going back, you know, good to great, built to last. You know, there's, there's an entire canon of advice and literature that says, uh, improve your processes, reduce risk and failure, uh, Six Sigma, just run a very competent business. And, and that's not bad advice. You know, that kind of competency keeps your customers. It prevents defections, but nobody tells stories about competency. I don't know everybody uh, listening or watching. I probably know some of you, but I know this for sure. Nobody has ever said, David, let me tell you about this perfectly adequate experience I just had. Right. You this is a terrible story. They counted out my change exactly. I mean, the math added up. It was, it was, it was phenomenally yeah, exactly. adequate. Yes. Yeah. I went to my accountant and all the numbers were right. It's just not a yeah. story. It's just not a story worth telling. So, so what we're trying to create is a customer experience. Uh, just, just one sort of blip in the, in the boring mundane customer experience. If you're like, Oh, I didn't expect that to happen or, Oh, that's a hell of a cookie or, Oh, that menu is like war and peace. And then you will tell a story about that. So, Half of those stories are still told face-to-face, -to -face, you know, email, Zoom, whatever. And then half of those stories are told at remove, right? In, in social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at all. Uh, ratings and review sites, Yelp, TripAdvisor, that whole phenomenon. And then, and then discussion boards uh, and, and forums. So uh, your local neighborhood, you know, um, forum or whatever the circumstances are. So it's about 50-50. Now, the data show that, that still today, what we would consider to be kind of offline, more intimate word of mouth, conversational word of mouth is slightly more persuasive because in most cases I have a tighter relationship with the storyteller in that circumstance. Right. And there's um, more give, or, give and take during the You during can ask follow-up questions. Oh, so tell me a little bit more about the menu. Well, how, what was it like? Was it like a phone book? No, it's spiral bound, right? You can, you can kind of get into a little bit more. If you just post something on Twitter that says this menu is gigantic, that is word of mouth, but I can't, I can't dig in as much. So it's still important. Right. Don't get me wrong. Online word of mouth, massively important, but it's not quite as persuasive uh, as, as offline. So here's a question. How receptive have you found company leaders uh, still predominantly within the marketplace is um, competency-based claims? Quality, commitment, caring, trust, people, customer service. That's what makes us special. I still come across CEOs and get in front of their organizations and they say, people, listen, at the end of the day, it's about quality. And I, and I just think, I, and I could not disagree more. Of course, the beginning of the day, it's about quality, right? Quality is the entry fee. You better be good at what you do. But at the end of the day, it's competitive advantage. And, and as you profess and, and, and promote, it's if you want people to talk about you, give them something to talk about. Precisely. The only way quality becomes a relevant differentiator is if others in the category cannot the standard deliver. is below. Right. Yeah. yeah. If you are, if you are so far above what anybody else can do, then yes, go with quality. But that is exceedingly rare. Like Absolutely. that is really, really hard to do. Not impossible, but really hard to do. Uh, and so I just sort of trying to break it down for people and say, look, the thing that you believe makes you different doesn't make you different at all. 
right. makes you exactly the same. And, and it, I, I do believe it's one of the great uh, problems in, in business that we just don't, we, we don't understand, and it's kind of a mystery still, we don't understand how customers evaluate categorical choices. Um, despite all the research and all the books and very thoughtful business leaders, they just don't get it. I think they've just been sort of brainwashed in MBA school about sort of the core pillars of success, right? Which, which really don't talk about customer experience, at least historically, they do more now. Uh, and certainly don't talk about, about word of mouth and how to create stories. Right. But let me ask you this. Do you think there's too many who are just drinking their own Kool-Aid? That the, the internal culture, especially if it's, if it's an innovative one, young companies, mm-hmm. that they literally think that they've created the cure for yeah. cancer that tastes like chocolate. They've built that proverbial better mousetrap and that people will flock to them. Yeah. Um, and don't, they so underestimate, here's what I find, and tell me if you concur. They so underestimate the quality of their competitors mm-hmm. that they think that it, it, the only reason that people haven't come to them is they have yet to figure it out. As soon as they figure out, they're going to come to us. And the reality is, and I talk about that, that unless you have 50% market share, most customers don't choose you they choose someone else. And you know why they choose someone else? Because they want to, because they like them. Yes, exactly. I will tell you just from a, from a tactical perspective that the, that the, the business tactic that is perhaps least embraced uh, and should be embraced universally is competitor secret shopping. It is amazing how many big companies we work with uh, at my firm. And we say, well, you know, do you actually know what the other guys have? Do you know what their thing does or what it looks like or what their sales experience is or what their, you know, if you call for service, what happens? No, but we got a pretty good idea. I'm like, well, when it's did ridiculous. that, it was like four, four years ago, we had somebody who used to work there. They work for us now. And they told us four years ago, what their process was like, like in a conversation. I'm like, Where they hear, oh no, our customers tell us that they right. do the horrible things. Yeah, yeah, that's that, yeah, that, that's a random sample right there. That's, yeah, there that's, it is. That that's uh, my friend Tom Webster has a great line. Uh, he he works at uh, Edison Research, their v- vice president, and he says that um, the plural of anecdote is not data. And I really like that line, right? And it's so Very true. We, we tell ourselves write stories. Write that down. Keep talking. We tell ourselves stories in business all the time, and and we use that story to kind of gerrymander our own experiences. Uh, and, and so competitor secret shopping is something that I think we really need to get a handle on. And once you start to do that, you realize that your secret sauce ain't that secret. And it may not even be sauce. Right. And, and once you realize that, they're like, oh, we should do something that's actually differentiated. And then you start thinking, okay, what's our CX? What's our talk trigger? What's our whatever? But you're exactly right. That's an elliptical road. So to answer your original question, everybody, once I kind of get into talk triggers or they read the book or they see the presentation or I talk to them face to face, they get it. And they're like, that's really awesome. We should do that. Very few of them will. And that's okay. Because if everybody had a talk to everybody, if everybody was doing it, then nobody would differentiate again. It's fine. Uh, But it is sometimes frustrating because I think, you know, is it me? Am I the only one who sees this? Because I, I, you know, when I talk to customers about it, they're like, oh, of course. Yes, I totally get that. Do you think it's because so many grew up in a different, and it and truly was a different world. I mean, what yes. the iPhone's been around for about 11 years. When you still look at 95%, um, and of course, you know, 42% of all statistics are made up on the spot. Um, 95% of food service, restaurant, grocery, the, their first claim will be, we start with the freshest ingredients. My God, you're serving me food. 
What yeah. is the alternative? We we use nearly expired ingredients, but we pass yes. the savings on to you, right? But once again, it's a competency-based claim. And they, yes. they think that that is our differentiator. We, I'll go around the room, you know, speaking to like a Vistage CEO group or somebody else, what's your differentiator? 99% are competency-based. Well, yeah. you know, honestly, service. You know or, or honestly, at the end of the day, it's about, it's about the people. Yeah. Really? Those people bear a striking resemblance to the people who work for your competitors? Yeah. But it doesn't have to. So like one of the one of the case studies I have, it's not in the book. Um, I have a new show called The Talk Triggers Show. So every oh. Tuesday, I have a new six or seven minute video uh, that tells a case story, a case study of a business that's doing great things with word of mouth. They have a, a CX differentiator. Uh, it shows on YouTube. It's also a podcast, Talk Triggers Show, if you want to find it. Super fun. I'm having a blast doing it. Uh, and And one of my most recent episodes was about a business in Philadelphia, which was run by uh, Patrice Banks. And Patrice used to be an aeronautical engineer for, or some kind of engineer, uh, for polymer engineer maybe, for DuPont. Very, very smart woman. Uh, and she took her vehicle in for service and was very uh, concerned that, that you know, they were gonna kind of pull a fast one on her because she doesn't know anything about cars. Right. He went to a typical mechanic, you know, you know, hairy mechanic dude and treated her, you know, dismissively. And, uh, and she just didn't like that experience and, and felt uneasy about it. So she's like, well, I'm pretty smart. Taught herself cars. Like just went to night school and, and became a certified mechanic, which is pretty awesome. And then she's thought, you know, this is a problem that a lot of women have. So she started a business, quit her job at DuPont, started a business called Girls Auto Clinic, hired all females uh, to work on the cars. They're called She-Canics, which is amazing. There you go. And uh, of course, all their clientele are, are females as well. And it's like this huge success story. And then she realized, you know, one of the other things that sucks about taking your car in is that you're sitting around in the waiting room and you're having like day old donuts and watching Jerry Springer and reading old issues of car and driver. The whole thing's terrible. Said, well, we can make this better. Uh, rented the place next door, knocked out the wall between, between and built uh, adjacent to the auto shop, a place called Clutch Beauty Bar. And it's manicures, pedicures, blowouts, uh, massages, facials. And each of the services are timed to the auto service. So you come in for an oil change, like you can get the oil change manicure. It's the same amount of time that you're going to be there, et cetera, et cetera. Brilliant, right? So yeah. you, don't, you don't have to have your employees look like everybody else's. You can even make a differentiated uh, organization out of who you hire if you choose to. So talk about the difference between what many of us in business grew up with, which was the USP, the unique selling proposition, yeah. and a talk trigger. Because there, there's certainly some overlap, but there's some real yeah. distinctive differences as well. Yeah. So what I think about is a USP is usually a, a, a brand element, right? It's a component of your, of your brand. It's the kind of thing that you would talk about in a conference room. A talk trigger is an experience that you would talk about in a bar. Okay. Right? It's a story. No one's going to tell a story about a USP. They're going to tell a story about you took your car in and everybody working on it were, were, were women. Um, you know, it's, it, right. it's, how, it's how it's couched. It's, part, it's how you think about it in the culture of the organization. Okay. So now let's take this. If we think of this linear, hmm. we've got the USP. We've got the talk trigger. Hmm. Now talk about the talk trigger as it differentiates from the wow moment. Yeah. That so many in the CX space talk about creating a wow moment. And I'm, and mm -hmm. I'm not a fan. I mean, they're, they're great if you can do them, but they're not mm -hmm. sustainable. They're not consistent. Talk about the difference between a talk trigger and a wow moment. Uh, a wow moment can be a talk trigger if it is delivered repeatedly. 
Um, right. Some are and, and some are not. What, what I find to be true about most wow moments as they're typically described in the popular literature, uh, customer service books, et cetera, is, is that it, it, it approaches surprise and delight, right? It, it, is, right. it is in this one circumstance, we had this one customer with this one problem, you see, and because our employees were empowered, they did this one thing that was right. script and therefore it was really awesome. Right. It's Nordstrom employee at one o'clock in the morning who drove a hundred miles to yeah. bring somebody a suit for a funeral. Which is great. But who benefits from that? One guy. One person. One guy. Right. So one of, one, of our, that one, of our rules, yeah, one of our rules in the book is your talk trigger must be repeatable, which right. means it is offered or gettable or experienced in, in some way by every customer. If it's not every customer, it's not a talk trigger. Because right. what that is, what, what a wow moment is, is a lottery ticket. Right. It's you're right. hoping that by doing something manifestly unusual, that that customer will be so in, entranced and enthralled uh, that he or she will, will share that story somewhere and it will get picked up and it will go viral. And maybe it will. It probably won't, frankly, but maybe it will. But either way, a wow moment gets real close to a PR stunt. Right. Wearing, wearing, a, customer service, wearing a customer service cloak. Right. Even if it was authentic, even if it was that remarkable moment and that people will talk about it, but nobody talks about you. Hear about, hear about Phil? He got a cookie, a double tree. Every right? time. Everybody gets a cookie. Everybody we all get it. Menu, we all, right? So it's, really quickly. It's the same. And, and I want to give you this, because one of the things what I, what I liked about it is you sort of put into a, um, you gave the criteria mm -hmm. for something that qualifies for those who might think that this is something that it is their wonderful wow moment that they can promote forever, but what really constitutes it. So it, it's the four categories is that, it, and I'm going to let you do it here. The four requirements for a talk trigger. Uh, four R's. They all start with R, you see. Uh, it has to be remarkable. Table stakes has to be worthy of remark, as Seth Godin has said famously. It has to Absolutely. be a story, a story worth telling. That's the first thing. If customers are like, yeah, that, okay, then it's not, they're not going to tell a story about it, right? It has to be something that they don't expect or- Worthy of being remarked about, yeah. right? The purple cow. Pattern. Exactly. First thing. Second thing is it has to be repeatable. We just talked about everybody has access to it. It's not circumstantial. Uh, third thing is it should be reasonable. And what we mean by that is one of the things that happen in business a lot now is people are like, yo- pretty tough to break through attention is a commodity and et cetera, et cetera. So what we're going to do is something really, really big. We're going to have a contest, you see, and we're going to have every customer put their name in a fishbowl, see? And then at the end of the trade show, we're going to pull a name out of that fishbowl and one of you is going to win an island. You're like, wait, what? You're like the local software company and you're giving away an island? That doesn't seem right exactly. Like, you, like what's the terms and conditions on this offer. Like what, where's the other, it's like that publisher's clearinghouse idea, right? And, and that doesn't work. Here's why it doesn't work. People don't share stories that they don't trust. I'm not going to tell you about this great thing if I'm not sure it's true, if I'm not sure it's accurate, then I'm not, you know, I'm an accomplice at that point. So when you give customers experiences that are too grand, the story actually stops. Right. It becomes incredible. That's right. 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 Yes. The whole root of the word. And do you think a lot of this came about um, as a result of sort of a culture that celebrates the outrageous? Yes. It, it was. It was. It was Jerry Springer. It was. Who, who was the guy? Morton Downey Jr. Those kinds yeah. of things. We're well. trying to shock and awe people into paying attention, and right. that doesn't work. 
Right, and, and but you see it online. I mean, you've you've got teens. I've got teens as well. Yeah. You, I, I had it down. You had you've got like sixteen and nineteen, right? Uh, yeah, twenty and uh, twenty and eighteen, pretty soon. Yeah. Okay, I got twenty four and nineteen and fifteen. Yeah. Um, and you know, you've seen the, the surveys now that that when we grew up, that what they everybody wanted to be was movie star, or astronaut, or whatever. Um, number one on the list for millennials, they want to be a YouTube star. Right. Yep. And how do you become famous? Not through accomplishment. And I know I sound like the old fogey by saying this, but they want that you're famous by doing something outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That, that yep. takes the place of that. But do you think, do you see that manifesting itself in organizations trying to, that's how we're going to get attention. We're going to get attention, not just millennials, anyone by doing something as you talked about, that is not reasonable. It's unreasonable. It's I just outrageous. think that a lot of marketers don't have a better idea. So they're like, look, what we're doing now is not working. So let's try and let's try and do something really, really big that people will notice. And that's the way we'll break through. Isn't it interesting that that low hanging fruit has become the outrageous? Yeah, right. Right. As opposed yeah, to, I haven't really thought about it that way, but that's really interesting. Yeah, you're exactly right. So, okay. so, and so the so, next one, so we've got remarkable, yep. reasonable, repeatable. next door. Yep. Repeatable, reasonable. And the last one is relevant. Uh, and, and your best talk triggers kind of tie back into who you are and, and what you stand for. It becomes a story that's easier to tell and a story that's more congruent to the receiver of the story. I'll give you a little example of this, if I may. There's a locksmith in New York City. His name is Jay Sofer. And he's the highest rated locksmith in New York on Yelp. In fact, he's one of the highest rated businesses in all of New York City on Yelp, period, which is a pretty high bar to clear. Uh, he does a lot of things competently in his business, runs a very good locksmithery or whatever it's called. Um, but his talk trigger is that after he finishes rekeying your apartment, what have you, he does a, a full security audit of your premises. So checks every door, every window. David, you might want to check this. This lock is a little bit loose or it could be, you know, crowbarred or whatever. Very important in New York in particular. Does that whole service for free? And people love it, right? There's an actual review for Jay on Yelp. This is true from this woman who says, I almost want to get locked out again. <laughs> That's how good my experience was, which is high praise. Yes. So his talk trigger, free security audit. Now you remember we were talking earlier about Doubletree hotels and, and free chocolate chip cookie. That is their talk trigger. Right. Now, what if those stories were somehow reversed? So what if Jay Sofer goes to your house, David, and, and um, re-keys your, your front door, then does the, you know, then kind of looks around and says, David, before I go, uh, would you like a warm chocolate chip cookie that I uh, baked in my locksmith van? <laughs> right. You would say, I do not want there's, that. There's, there's a disconnect that here somewhere. That I, I am not. Uh, no, no, thank you. Uh, and also, how are you doing that? Right? I mean, it just, you're no. Or right. you go to double tree. Hernia checks and hugs. Yes. No. Right. No. Right. Right. You go to double tree and they say, uh, Mr. Averin, thank you for being uh, here and, and your loyalty to, to the Hilton Hotels. Uh, before you get to your room, would you like us to perform a thorough security audit? Yeah. You would say, hey, guys, that, that's necessary. I'm just going to go now, if that's right. cool. Later, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check out uh, and go next door. So those two talk triggers work great for their owners. But if you switched them, they wouldn't work great, right? So, so the best ones are ones that actually make sense in, in your brand. Right. Doubletree, Doubletree has its own brand. Each of the 14 hotel brands in the Hilton chain have their own brand positioning, of course. Sure. Doubletree's is the warm welcome the warm welcome. Right. They want to be really, really good at that like seven, eight minute process between when you set foot in the hotel and when you set foot in your room. They want to be great at that. 
So they actually spend more time, money, effort on lobby design than most hotels at that price point. Sure. They also spend more time, money, effort training front desk staff than most hotels at that price point. And the cookie ceremony, and it is a ceremony, it's a hand-to-hand pass. That's the brand standard. It's not a pile of cookies, right? They hand it to you hand-to-hand. That is a big part of the warm welcome. Warm welcome, warm cookie. Locksmith security audit. Relevant is the fourth requirement for a talk trigger. And, and for, for our, our listeners and our viewers as well, and for those especially small business owners as well, once again, I think as you said before, is that sometimes they go for the low-hanging fruit. I mean, mm-hmm. what's the easiest answer? And the easiest answer, and we this because we do a lot of conferences with trade shows and put the, the card in the bowl. Yeah. And what is, what's the giveaway? They always have the same giveaway and it has no relevance to their business. And what is that giveaway? Well, it's 100% of the time, uh, seemingly, it is an iPad. It's an iPad, uh, exactly and, right. And, and now, now sometimes it's like a, an Amazon Alexa. You see some of that sometimes too. But, but right. either, for, for five years, it was an iPad. Yes, Win an iPad. Either way, uh, like the only company that should be giving away an iPad is Apple. Right. Maybe, maybe AT&T, like maybe, uh, but that's it. Or I guess maybe Best Buy, that's a stretch. Uh, But, but if you're running like, you know, if you're an insurance company, like your prize should not be something that has nothing to do with your company. It doesn't mean. But but the easy answer is what does everybody want? Everybody wants an iPad and maybe it's an iWatch or or, or, or an Apple watch or whatever else, but you're right. It, what it is, it's not that it's not appreciated. It's a missed opportunity to create connection in some sort and something that makes somebody want to talk about you. That's right. Give me life insurance. I'll take that. Good prize. Right. Or, or don't, or don't give them a discount into your services. Yes. And, uh, and, so, and at the holiday times, don't give them a holiday gift of something with your logo on it. Yes. Food right. Or, Hey, happy birthday. Here's an eight by 10 glossy. Yes. Of, of me. Um, <laughs> so Listen, um, I, I like to finish this. We, we could talk all day and mostly because I want to, because there, there's so much that, that I find validating and so much of what you say that stretches me as well, because I talk about that experience. How are we experiencing at each level? But when you talk about sort of that word of mouth and we have these new vehicles and venues to make that happen, um, people will find them. Let me, let me ask one last thing before we go, because I, because I found this very, very interesting. As you mm-hmm. talked about, um, this part was so... I so identified with because, and I actually marked this. Oh, thanks. And put on my glasses as well. When you talked about the, the four groups of customers, yeah. um, the experience advisors, the mm-hmm. unique seekers, the fundamental fans, and the skeptics. And of course, the skeptics, part of that focus for the, the hug your haters as yeah. well. And how do we bring them into yeah. the fold or at least mitigate their opposition and their yes. vocal opposition? Yes. But things have changed tremendously in terms of their not only ability to reach the masses, but people feel it's not only their right, but their obligation to share yeah. any slight or whatever else. But where I think, and you tell me if, if, if you concur with this, I think the greatest um, growth opportunity is with the experience advisors. Mm-hmm. I think people want to, of those four quadrants, and they're all fairly equal, yes. um, the skeptics are probably a little bit, at 30, they probably won't change because there's always going to be people who just, you know, listen, don't, don't try it. and sell me. Right. But the experience advisors, those who want to share their experiences, and, and I don't equate this with people who want to take surveys, because I think surveys can, are, are so overdone, I think we're, we're offending people. But I think people want to share their experiences. They want, to, they want to blog, they want to whatever. Do you see that as the biggest growth opportunity, at least the biggest opportunity to influence people to action? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and the reason we put that together, so the first research we did, first two projects, we're, we're looking into the Cheesecake Factory and Doubletree and to see what percentage of their customers are actually telling stories about their talk triggers. Right. So as I mentioned, Doubletree, it's 34%. And I do for both. Um, I do for both. Absolutely. Doubletree is 34, Cheesecake Factory is 38. So we knew that. And then we said, okay, well, is that good? Like, you know, like we, right. we right. there's PR, good PR, right? This kind of research hasn't really been done. Um, and so we said, all right, well, what's the, you know, like, what, what should we think is, is, you know, should it be 80? Should it be 10? We don't know. So we conducted this study, which was a whole national survey of consumers across the board, random sampled for age, gender, income, et cetera. And we found, as, as you mentioned, that about um, 70% of customers uh, are, are likely to, to tell a story about a business ever. Okay. Right. Period. 70%. Uh, 40 Eight percent, forty-seven, forty-eight percent are are likely to tell a story about a business that does something different, i.e., a talk trigger. The other twenty-three uh, percent are are more competency-driven. Like they're they're like, this food was really good, or this was on time, right? They are entranced by competency. Forty-seven percent are those who who actually you could convince to tell a talk triggers-related story. That being the, the 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 addressable universe, then right. So if you say, right. look, that's what, that's the opportunity. You have forty seven percent of your customers will ever potentially tell a story about your business. If Cheesecake Factory is at thirty eight, that's kind of killing it, right? Like that's you know you're 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 doing a great job. You're at thirty eight or forty seven. That's amazing, sure. right? So we use that to help kind of figure out what our recommendations were going to be, both for clients and for book readers, in terms of what what threshold of talkability is 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 good. And how do you know if your talk trigger is working? But you're exactly right. The, the group that we call the experience advisors, which are about 25%, 23% of the, of the population, those are the folks who are always on Yelp and Amazon and, you know, they're, they're Google reviews. They're the reviewer people, right? They're the ones at every right. cocktail party who are like, oh, hey, David, have you been to the new place? It's called Smoke Eaters. It's an incredible new barbecue place. Like they get off on telling people what places to buy from and what places to not buy from. It's just part of their personality. And, and it doesn't really mean that they're old, young, male, female, Gen Z, boomers. It doesn't, it's not that. It's just they're how just they the, are. The it's, shares. it's their thing, man. It's just their thing. So they're going to share stuff, period. It doesn't matter what you do as a business. They are going to talk. And the reason that group is sort of the front lines of, of word of mouth, they're going to talk anyway. You just got to give them a story to tell. So the thing they right. talk about is your cookie, is your security audit, is your free sunscreen at the amusement park near my house. It's, it's whatever your talk trigger is. You want them to notice that and that becomes the tip of the spear of the story they're going to tell one way or the other. How do you feel about organizations? And I think we're seeing a growing trend and certainly consultants and others who are encouraging this of encouraging their people to share positive. I mean, I, I've, seen, I've seen restaurants that have selfie sticks mm -hmm. collapsed in the center of the table. I mean, they're mm -hmm. basically saying, please share this yeah. with others as well. Or I'll go into an embassy suite because once again, I'm a Hilton guy mm -hmm. and there's a lucite thing on the counter in the bathroom that says, if there's anything you don't need, um, please let us know. Or some, a sign that will say, if, if there's something you don't like, don't tell Yelp, tell us, mm -hmm. we'll make it right. Um, mm -hmm. How proactive do businesses need to be to take those influenceable people and encourage the positive reviews to offset those that will tend to be skewed negative? I mean, people yeah, I think it's, I think it's super important. Yeah, super important. Um, you know, user-generated content, anything that comes from a real person 
is is trusted significantly more than anything that comes from the brand. Right. So that's why talk triggers are so important. Anything that anything that you can get a real person to say on Facebook, Yelp, TripAdvisor, Twitter, Skywriting, Hostage Note, doesn't matter. Whatever you can get a real person to say is going to be better than anything that you say as a business, just categorically true. So the more that you can incentivize them to create content when they're at your place of business or, or after the fact, the better off you'll be. And then in terms of kind of pulling negativity out of public, right, and, and bringing it private, certainly a best practice. This idea of, hey, don't just reflexively complain on TripAdvisor about our hotel. Why don't you tell us first and then complain later if you don't get a satisfactory response? That's absolutely a best practice. It doesn't really work very well, though, according to our research, um, because a lot of companies mishandle the ask. The best way to do it, uh, a lot of times what you'll see in the loose site ones or you'll, see, you'll get a, like a letter from the GM next to the phone or whatever in a hotel room and it says, hey, uh, I'm David Averitt. I'm the general manager here of the uh, Embassy Suites in uh, Tuscaloosa. And uh, listen, if you have any problems at all, any concerns, you need anything, just call me. Here's, uh, here's my number. Well, unless this room is on fire, I'm not going to call the general right. manager. Because right. that's a, I feel like that's a big leap for me to take for that person. And also it's an immediate conflict situation. What, what most businesses aren't understanding is that the level of passive aggressiveness and the level of conflict avoidance is going up, 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 up. And young people are particularly um, in, that, in that realm right now. So we've done studies on this. The best way is to say wherever in your restaurant, in the bathroom, in your hotel, in your little shop, whatever, any issues, text this number immediately. If you let people text, they are dramatically, overwhelmingly more likely to use it uh, because nobody wants, nobody wants to talk on the phone, period. And a text is much less conflict-ridden than a phone call in any event. Right. And they don't want to necessarily go on the record. Right. Can, can, I, just, can, I, can I throw a... Yeah, that's interesting. You know, the skeptic in me, whenever I hear it, I turn in your car at Enterprise and they say, you know, how was the Toyota, Mr. Avern? It was just fine. Thank you. Um, did you have a chance... Fill it up. No, go ahead and charge me. Is there anything we could have done to have made this a more outstanding experience? And what they're really saying, of course, is please, God, don't go on TripAdvisor and trash us. Let me fix it now. Yeah. But nuancing that language um, is really important. And, and I think it is, is it's not tested nearly addictive. enough. It should be A-B testing and that kind of stuff. The same we'd be A-B testing an email subject line. Uh, that same kind of rigor should be put into customer service and CX and, and, and the same kind of math. And it's just not very often. It's, it's a shame. Right, right. Just, just the, the mere mechanics of, of, yeah. of throwing that option isn't necessarily getting you the kind of, the kind of results. This is, listen, this is fascinating. I'm, I hope we have another chance to, uh, to chat again in the future. I'm a huge fan of the book. The book Thanks. is Talk Triggers by Jay Bear. Also, Hug Your Haters. And YouTube. The book is Why Customers Leave by David Avron. That's the book you ought to read. There you go. Hey, listen, I always end these with a very quick lightning round. So here's a couple of very quick questions, quick answers. Um, I love your personal style. Dude, what is your favorite men's clothing store? Where do you get your stuff? So I'm actually out of costume today and I apologize. I'm almost always uh, in my signature suit, uh, even when I'm on podcasts, but uh, I, I couldn't do it today. So uh, there's actually a, a small case study in the book about my, my guy, his name is Caleb Ryan. He runs a company called Elevated Citizen, which is right here in Bloomington, Indiana. And he travels around to different cities around the, around the country and brings you swatches and then, and then makes you a custom fitted suit. His talk trigger is that inside the suit, in the collar, inside the jacket, and actually in the zipper, like under the, in the zipper fly, he, he puts in hidden messages. So you get the suit from Caleb and there's all kinds of, of, uh, of weird messages. Uh, so that's kind of his, his shtick. He is amazing. 
Love it. And of course, your style, big plaid suits and yeah, outrageous. But guy. In but, fact, I'll tell you my new talk trigger. You're, you're a speaker. You're going to love this. So yes, my thing, my talk trigger, at least as a speaker, is I'm the plaid suit guy. That's my thing. But it wasn't, it was more of a, it was more of a, of, a, of a USP, right? It wasn't enough of an experience. So I said, okay, how can I make the plaid suit thing more of an experience for who my real customer is? Of course, the meeting planner. So right. Do a new thing. When people book me for a speech, a week out, they get an email from me that says, can't wait, pumped. Before we do this, go to dressjbear.com. And they go to that website and it's a little app that I built and they can pick what suit they want me to wear on stage. And then it goes on my calendar so I know what to pack and they love it. Cause then I, when they introduce me like, and that suit's crazy and we picked it out, et cetera, et cetera. It's really good. Dude, that is outrageous. Can I, can I use that on stage? Cause I have a whole section where I talk about, about, um, individuality and that people yeah, want to buy the way they want. They want to, cause my kids don't want to go to the grocery store or they go to the store and buy tennis shoes. They want to design them online. Yes. I was thinking when you were saying it, I was thinking you were saying, Hey, you can play with a little dress up J doll, but they're actually picking the suit that you're going to wear. Yes. That's not only interactive, but it's responsive. Very yes. nice. Yes. Cause sometimes awesome. they want you to match. Sometimes they want to match their logo. Sometimes they're like, I just like red. I don't I'm like, I don't care. You just tell me. I don't have that many Close. That's awesome. Okay. We're going to talk later on because I am going to, I'm going to find images and I'm going to promote the hell out of you on stage as well. What are people most surprised to learn about Jay Bear? You know, I think in some cases uh, it's, it's that I've been in this so long. Like I started in digital in 1993 when domain names were free and true right. story. Uh, my partner and I, my first internet company, uh, we sold the domain name Budweiser.com to Anheuser-Busch Brewing for 50 cases of beer. <laughs> That's how long I've been doing this. So. That's great. Um, last one. What do your kids think about what you do? You know, the good news is they're old enough now that one in college, one headed to college, that, that they have some uh, concept of what it actually is. My daughter's interned for us a few times and stuff. She's uh, kind of in the biz. Um, and they've seen me speak and all that. They, they think it's a little weird, like, because none of their other, you know, their friends, parents are not, you know, quasi public figures uh, or whatever. So they think that's a little weird. Um, and, and I think they're always skeptical, like, you don't know how social media works because only we know how social media works because we're kids and we're cool. And they're right. not, they're not, that's not a hundred percent wrong. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm scared when my youngest goes to college, I'm gonna lose my R and D lab. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, but I think, you know, they think it's pretty cool. It's definitely a, a, different, uh, a different lifestyle for sure, as you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then when they see people wanting dad's autograph, it's like, oh my God, they think, yeah. you're, like, <laughs> like, they think you're a big like, deal. You have no idea what an idiot he is. Yeah, I know we talk about my kids with their, with their snap face and their link chat and they're like, oh my God, dad, you don't get it. I said, oh no, 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 I teach it. Trust yeah. me. And, yeah. and how many followers do you have? Like, shut up, dad. You know? Yeah, nobody cares. Hey, listen, what a, what a pleasure it's been. Um, Jay Bear, how do they get in touch with you if they'd like to? Two things. If you go to talktriggers.com, a bunch of information on the book, a ton of free stuff there too. So if you don't buy the book, go to talktriggers.com. You'll love it. The new show that I mentioned, new YouTube show, new podcast, uh, you can find as a podcast. Just search for Talk Trigger Show uh, and talktriggersshow.com is the show on YouTube. Uh, those are the two best places. Outstanding. We spelled Jay Bear, B-A-E-R. Look him up online. You can see the great outfits but of course that's just the external uh great content great learning um and great experience congratulations on your new hall and fame induction as thank well you. absolutely hey thanks for tuning in 
For those of you who are listening to this, the audio version on Spotify and Megaphone and Stitcher and iTunes and C-Suite Radio, uh, be sure to check it out on the website at davidavern.com where you can click and watch the video version of all of these. Please take a second and scroll through some great interviews with some great professionals, things to learn, interesting conversations always, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. For past and future episodes, be sure to subscribe at theveryvisiblebusiness.com. You can also learn more about David Averin's keynote speaking and consulting at visibilityinternational.com. Connect with us on social media and check out David Averin's latest book, Visibility Marketing at amazon.com. This has been the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.